Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 271 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome! In this episode I talk to Xavier Entleman of Sixth Val about their turn-based tactical sci-fi game Element Space. So without further ado, I shall hand you over to me from the past. Take it away Chris. Heavy. Who are you? Hello Chris. Hello. Who are you and what do you do? Well, my name is Javier Entelman, and I'm the uh, president and CEO of Six Vowel uh, Development Studio in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Yeah. You are the very first Argentinian developer we've ever had on the show. We've had people from all over the world, everywhere from Brisbane to, you know, Leamington-on-Sea. Um, but, yeah, all over the planet. And so that's, that's lovely that, uh, yeah, South American – we don't have nearly enough South American developers on the show. I need to fix that. So, yeah, thanks, thanks for being a vanguard. <laughs> thanks for being a vanguard for that. Because I know there's an astonishing a large amount of games come out of South America. People don't know this, but they do. So, oh, more and more, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Essentially, it's, it's a group. So, you've told us who you are and what you do. That's good. If it starts easy and then it ramps up. <laughs> um, the next thanks, question. Yeah, yeah, the next question is. Um, how did you make your start making video games? Well, that's it's kind of a long story. I'm going to try to narrow it down for you. Essentially, uh, I come from uh, movie productions. I've been working in cinema many years. Essentially, working in a as an on-set producer, an on-stage producer for for both short and long films in Latin America and some work in the USA. And essentially, I wrote a script. Uh, that was a sci-fi script for a game, which became, of course, Solomon Space. But uh, I've always been a lover of gamers, uh, of video games, and well, I loved playing RPG, tabletop RPGs and stuff. And essentially made the decision to actually move from one media to the other. So I did some learning, did some studying, and then started my own development company with our first game, which is Element Space. So it was kind of a weird transition from producing one type of multimedia project to another. That's quite a leap, but you're not the first guest that's made that leap, transition from film to interactive media, which is what video games are kind of. I say kind of because to just call them interactive media, you and I know, is a little bit insulting. Um, there's, there's, there's scales, isn't there? Uh, and there's everything from simple puzzle games, and I'm not going to mention my favourite because then my, my listeners will take a drink. <laughs> but there's everything from very simple puzzle games right through to things complex things like you know Eve Online. You know it's just that full, full scale, and most mediums have this broadening. But I think video games are hard to actually match that that breadth. Do you agree? 
I would say that video games have the biggest um, range of what they can deliver to to the consumer, to the player, and also to the storyteller. I mean, the mere fact that if I'm telling you a story in a movie, something that I tell you and you have no interaction with makes a big difference on, for example, an RPG in which you are making all the choices and you're the one experiencing and developing the story. So one of the things that appealed to me the most about video games was that specific tool, the fact that you're giving the the person the person that is experiencing the product all the choices they're making the choices of which word which way to go uh, which dialogues to pick which part of the story they want to be which character they want themselves to develop so i think that's kind of the biggest range of it yeah 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 which leads me on to my next question this is known regular listeners will know because we've been going for a while it's only the infamous third question it's it's a bit nebulous and i've been Got trying to rephrase it a lot, and it's just not. So I'm gonna here we go, here we go. But it's an important question, and it's an important one. I'm not being frivolous about it. It's just, that's why it's so difficult to ask. But Sixth Vossel, as a studio, as a creator of things, what do you believe is your biggest, or are your biggest influences? Well, um, considering that we uh, we started the development around making our first game, which is not usually the case here in Argentina, our biggest influences were both those games and series and movies that actually influenced the development development space. Mm. Uh, I, so I'm talking about of old games like in XCOM, but I'm talking about the first XCOM, the 1990s XCOM, 1980s XCOM. Games like Mario Rabbits, also Kingdom Rabbits, which was a gigantic influence on the gameplay uh, of Element Space. And then series like Cosmos, which were very helpful in developing uh, the story behind Element Space. Uh, besides that, most of the people that actually work or have worked in the company had a long history of background of working in many other projects. Because, well, Argentina, unbeknownst to a lot of people, has had their hands in development, in programming and, and art development in many big projects that are out there, like Civilization Beyond Earth, Master of Orion, and so many other big titles like FIFA uh, 2016 and stuff like that. So people had a lot of experience within the industry before, but not a lot of experience making their own big games. So we were one of the first pushing towards the industry doing their first, like, I, I don't know if I would call it double A or A game, but I mean big indie game as it is, as Element Space is. So... We got more of, most of the influence and the experience of what people had worked before mixed with the stuff that we knew we wanted for Element Space. So it's definitely leaning into the fact that you're greater than the sum of its parts. And previously, you've been vital. You know, the Argentinian development has been vital in creating parts. But now you're going, actually, we, we've done all this stuff. We've done all bits of things, and that's great. But we can actually, you know, come together and go, here's a thing we've made ourselves. There you go, rather than uh, an aspect of a very successful and, and, and other games. You say, well, you know, we've been, you know, programmers or developers for hire. And that's great. And that's worthy. And, and that's, the vast majority of games actually are developed like that and to, to greater or lesser degree. But here you said, actually, we, we, you've actually got all the pieces of the puzzle together. Let's just smash it up and see what happens. Is that is that a fair assessment? It is a fair assessment. If I'm being a bit presumptuous, if, if I'm saying like we are the first ones to make our own game, I mean, there's, mm. there's been many great games yes. before. Many of them, for example, there's a very famous uh, football simulator uh, that people called, it, it was called PC Football, came years before Football Manager, and it was like a big basis for it, and it was very successful here in Latin America. There were other many great RPG online games and stuff like that. There wasn't many, um, so to speak, like high-budget games made before. This would be one of the first high-budget games ever made. But there was a lot of products coming out of the both Argentina and the region itself. Not a lot of them got international fame, so to speak. Mm. There were much more... Their games, uh, yeah, like outsourced here. There was a lot of outsourcing, a lot of uh, third-party development. So in a way, I mean, we're not the first ones putting out a game. 
we are one of the first teams putting out a game that's like of a higher budget and of a higher size, of a bigger size. It's 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 sweeping. It's stuff. There's there's content here. There's it's um yeah. It goes to places you didn't expect. Right from the first twenty minutes of play. Trust me, I'm not going to spoil it, but. It, something happens, you go, wait, I didn't, what? Hang on. And like, it just, yeah, it just gets, goes on. And it's lovely to, 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 you, you play on those, those, those assumptions. It's very clever. But before we delve into more on that in element space, let's, uh, let's go on to the next question. And this isn't very difficult for me to ask, but it's difficult to answer. Um, so, sure. uh, what developer do you most admire in the industry and why? Oh, that has to be CD Projekt. In a way, they were the... Well, yeah, they, they are just... Aren't they? I mean, in a way, their story is what we wanted uh, to happen to us. <laughs> I, I, again, it's a big call. But if you actually go back like 16 years and think about development, game development in, in Poland, their situation was pretty similar of what's happening to Argentina and also to other Latin American countries. They were like a third-party outsourcing country for many countries in Europe. And in a way, they had like cheaper budgets. They had a lot of talented people. And it was because of the very brave decisions that CD Projekt made that once they got together and said, you know what, let's stop doing development for other people. Let's do our own game. So they said, okay, let's do The Witcher. And suddenly, well, we all know where that ended, right? So, so essentially... a favorite piece of text... Now, from Poland, going, this is a piece of our culture. Let's turn it into a video game. And most people go, this is a terrible idea. And <laughs> no, and I mean, it, it has to have been a struggle. I mean, mm. right now you look at them and you see one of the best developers in the industry. But I can imagine what they went through going from doing like more outsourcing or like having smaller teams that did work for other teams to yeah. doing their own game. And essentially, if you look at The Witcher 1, I know compared to The Witcher 3, it looks like a small game, but at the time it was a gigantic game for what they did before. And you look at that and you see, okay, this is the, the path that we should be following. I mean, Argentina has been doing outsourcing work for 20 to 25 years before we started doing big games. So there has to be a tipping point in which you say, okay, now is the time to actually grab all that experience, grab all those people and see where it can land. And it, in, in a way, it was a struggle with Element Space because compared to Poland, we have a, well, much, much, uh, uh, much, sorry, no, I mean, a lot less people working in the industry. Mm. Like there's a lot of very interested people moving this industry forward, but we're talking like we have maybe 10 to 20% of the amount of professionals. So even for Element Space, there were many spaces and in the industry, many, many places that we needed to cover to finish the game that there weren't people here at all with any experience to do. But still, essentially, we were trying to, to use their model as our model. So without a doubt, CD Projekt was like our inspiration. Excellent. No, so I, I actually like The Witcher 1, but a lot of people don't because it's a bit impenetrable. But I actually quite liked it, the fact that, you know, you played a character who was flawed he's gray he's you know he's not you know the all-conquering hero he's a bit of a jerk and that's okay because we're all sometimes jerks we try not to be but sometimes you know we make mistakes and so did so does Geralt and that's the point you know he just he's got his own agenda and that's uh that's very you know uh it's it's more it's easier to to relate to than someone who is an all-conquering superman because that's why superman's a bit dull <laughs> oh, this is fantastic! Not only that, I mean, I'm a hardcore RPG player, and I would say that when The Witcher One came out, they had a lot of people playing it, and they said like, "Yeah, it's okay, it's fine, it has some stuff, but it's great." Blah, blah, blah. And, and when I tried it, I played this game, and I said, "Oh my god, these guys are gonna go far." Yeah. Not, not long after Witcher Two came out, and it was already obvious that they were gonna be one of the three best developers uh, for RPGs in the world. Yeah. And I mean, this might be. This might be a bit of a, of a discussable argument, but in my opinion, even though I love uh, RPGs like Planescape Torment, Baldur's Gate, and many of the classics, I do have to say that The Witcher 3, for me, might be the greatest RPG of all time. And, and it's these people 
following their ideas all the way through. So kind of yeah. shows. And there's there's some written idea. They actually sold off during the month of March. They sold off a lot of all the Witcher three, all three of them very cheaply. Like the Witcher one, you could get for pennies, pennies. You know, just like barely anything. Yeah, so there you go. There's 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 twenty thirty hours of entertainment for you for less than the half a pint of a beer. You know, there you go. Okay, yeah, have fun with that. That's the magic part. Of it. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's kind of the magic part. There's a point in time in which all games are going to go cheap. Yeah. <laughs> and, and when they go cheap, like, why actually go out, have a beer, if you can actually pay much less and have, like, 60 hours of content to just enjoy, especially unless, in the middle of a quarantine. Yeah, unless they're Factorium, because then that's a game they will never drop the price on, for reasons. Uh, I know them quite well. They have a very strong opinion about why their game is worth $20, and that's it. And they're never going to drop the price. Unless Whoa. they're right, you know. <laughs> I, not only I understand what you mean, I, we're actually in a way kind of dealing with that ourselves because uh, Element Space, when it came out, it was twenty four ninety nine, and it's still twenty four ninety nine. But essentially, because we had to bring it out on console, and until it, that happened, we're not going to be able to lower the price. So, no. But essentially, we are going to go that way, which eventually we're still lowering the price uh, yeah. towards what we feel would its bare minimum. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but like I said, some mm-hmm. developers go, nah. No, it's this much. What? I want to play it. I know you do. How much? $20. <laughs> I mean, it's still a business. Like, essentially, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a backpack industry, but it's still a business. Yeah. Many companies see it as a business. And I mean, you got to respect that as well. I, I, I don't necessarily agree, but I can understand the philosophy they're coming from. I mean, yeah. These yeah. companies also invest millions and millions of dollars on a game. They are expecting some sort of return. And even games that do well don't necessarily get that return if you actually do all the entire calculation, including marketing and these gigantic budgets they use. But, for example, in our case, essentially at some point we are going to want people to just play the game and move on towards the next thing. And when you do that, I think in a way it speaks to you as a passionate developer, the fact that you don't at some point you realize, okay, this this is as much money as I'm going to get from this product. It's time to just... Yeah. Let it be, and let it yeah. become something that the public can enjoy. Indeed, and that particular game has a, it does have a long tail to it. It's one of those builders. It's one of, it can do that. They can keep on pouring content into it, and therefore people get value for money, etc. So that they got that model anyway. It works. It's a modular game. It can be expanded in almost infinitum. So they got that. That's fine. You're right. It's all you know. It's unique situations, but you know, it's interesting how. Um, the, the concept of value is a discussion that's been had across many GDCs for decades. <laughs> oh, indeed. <laughs> enough for those to tell you that it is almost a divide. It's it's a divide as, as the Democrats and the Republics or the Israelis and the Palestinians. It's like either lower the price and become a, a premium game uh, developer or become a freemium game developer that just charges for every DLC and every item package, but you know, we're we're an independent developer, so yeah. we essentially don't go. So, um, last question of the first half. I know, done well, but this one's very important uh, because it gives you an inkling of what gets your blood throwing. I think I know we've already told us what that is, but just just uh, delve into it a little bit. Um, what are you playing right now? Ooh. That's a spicy question. Mm. Well, at the moment, I am doing a lot of, of run-throughs of Element Space because we are debugging the crap out of it. <laughs> but essentially, uh, the other games that I'm playing, uh, I would tell you would be a mix of Total War Free Kingdoms at some points whilst I'm doing some work because it's a turn-based strategy game that just allows me to just not pay that much attention to it. But when it comes to RPG, uh, I've been veering towards a lot of tabletop RPGs. I've, I've been like, I mean, because of the quarantine, I've been using Discord and some bots to play with friends, some D&D Beyond and, and D&D RPGs. But uh, I've recently just dusted <laughs> dusted off uh, Divinity Original Sin 2, which I'm replaying again. Oh, uh, mostly because it's... Uh, well, I, I saw the news regarding Baldur's Gate 3 and I was immediately enthralled. Like, 
I saw what Larian was showing. Again, maybe if, if CD Projekt might be the number one RPG developer in the world, Larian is number two. <laughs> so essentially, I, I dusted off that game again. I'm replaying it entirely, and I'm just, well, enjoying the crap out of it, to be honest. It's just a fantastic game. Yeah. I mean, I was there at PAX East when they revealed the Baldur's Gate 3 thing, so it's very exciting. Um, uh, oh, and uh, yeah, I highly, highly recommend going to one of those if you can. Uh, they're amazing. Um, but um, yeah, uh, I big fan of their work. They've been going. For, they've been making RPGs for a lot longer than people know. Because um, they used to, yeah, they, they decades. Make, it's one company, and, and it shows essentially in their games. Yeah, they really know that genre. They really know that genre, and uh, it's it's good to know that you're you know there's. Uh, character, or oh, sorry, the, the, the computer RPGs or CRPGs as they're known have a, have a, have a lineage, don't they? A legacy, if you will. You know, going back to Ultima and stuff like that that have been, even to this day, there's still aspects of those games that linger 30, 40 years after they were first made. And, uh, some for good and some for Not only. Yeah. Yeah, they've made a strong impact in, in culture in general. I mean, in series like uh, Stranger Things or The Big Bang Theory, people that before were like playing D&D games on their computers, in their basements, with their friends, and suddenly it's becoming a higher, a bigger pop culture stuff. Like mm. people are flocking D&D beyond like never before. They, they have more players in Wizards of the Coast that they've never had. And it's growing and, and it, it was all born there. I mean, Baldur's Gate 1, Baldur's Gate 2, Icewind Dale. These are games that essentially, I don't know if, I, I don't know how many people bought them, but you would have never imagined that people would be in this day and age transfixed on that sort of fantasy setting and, and type of game. And Divinity Original Sin, in a way, it's, it's a growth from that. Like you play that game and you realize that this is what that genre became. This is, this is where it evolved. And there's a lot more players for that. It, it was a niche area, in my opinion, and it suddenly became something much, much bigger. It's now many, one of the trending type of games. So, Yeah, I mean, I've been playing them for decades. I've fully put a hand up. Like, yep, I've been playing Might and Magic and Wizardry. and Yeah, I've been playing those. Yep. Some of them were terrible. Let's face it, they were. Some of them. Some of them, yeah. <laughs> <This> yeah. <laughs> My Magic 3, I don't want to experience that ever again. I mean, that was just... Why did I slug through that? I did anyway. And, uh, well, you know... I, <laughs> I, I'm usually trying not to be very critic of, no. of other... I mean, we all make mistakes. and Yeah. I, I usually... did this with movies as well. I usually try to see them from a production point of view. Yes. And, you know, we, we faced some decisions in Element Space that essentially we weren't... Uh, we were against the wall between making choices that we thought weren't going to work or what's going to be the best solution for this or that. And when you see a game that actually clearly aimed much higher than, than what it delivered, uh, well, you know what happened to them. You know, you know the mistakes they found and the things they've seen. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty easy to be, uh, to, to just be a player and say, Oh, this is a load of crap because I mean, I don't like the game, but then again, you have to, I mean, you don't have to, but I, I usually try to see it from the perspective of as being a developer. Okay. I can see how they in production had to face some choices and challenges that eventually became this. And, you know, the game you mentioned was a big, but was essentially, is essentially a big example of that because uh, you can see that they aimed towards making a game that would have been essentially awesome if yeah. they would have pulled it off. Yeah. Yeah. And, they, they rallied, don't get me wrong, they rallied. I thought 6, well, imagine 6 is a very good game. Uh, it's, uh, as aspects of it that don't really stand up now, but at the time, I think it was quite groundbreaking and very good. But, you know, they had to get there, they had to make that journey, and uh, so, you know. I mean, they slugged with the formula. They, yeah. they kept on working on that same genre and on that same, I mean, improving on the things they made wrong. And I hope that that's something that can happen to us as well, I mean. Element Space is the first game we made as a company, and I, there's a ton of stuff that we didn't put out there that we thought we were going to bring in, but we decided, okay, this is our first game. Let's see where we can go from here. Yeah. What what can grow in this? Indeed. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good a, formula. 
Yes, and I was about to say that as very common, uh, it's uh, the creative process is very destructive. It's something I've said many times on this show, and it's true. You know, it's just you, the amount of stuff you find on the cutting room floor is phenomenal, but that's how things are made. Indeed, you know, you know what's I think one of the things I've learned. I mean, that I, I've learned it during movie productions and then brought it <laughs> to video game production. But during the pre-production stage and the creative phase in which you're deciding which features are going to go inside the game or not, the word no becomes essential. Yeah. Knowing what to take out in the right amount of time, what to diminish from your budget and what to, to take away from your scope can be the difference between finishing a game or just like limping on and never finishing it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm saying anything about games that are for example, at this moment, still getting money to be developed <laughs> by uh, crowdfunding millions and millions of dollars into a game that seems that's never going to end production. Yeah. Yeah. But essentially, knowing, say, I'm not doing this, I'm not getting there. I would love to have it, but I know it's going to be too difficult to do. It's going to go into too many um, unknowns, into too many hard decisions to make in production. I don't know if I'm going to have the people to do it. All of that, knowing when to take it out, when to say no, it's the right way to go. And I think it shows into the – the greatest games show that. The greatest games show that they had people in production, creative directors and product owners and uh, whatever, whatever positions saying, you know what, we cannot do this. It would be cool to have it, yes, but it has too many exponential problems that we don't know how we're going to face, too many questions unanswered, so it's not going into the game. And learning that process for us was, it, it was harsh, but it rewarding in a way because it, we know what we don't want to repeat on, on the next game. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So that's the end of the first half. Well done. Um, we're Del- now going to delve deep into elements. we delve into element space we need to know what it is because you can't expect listeners to know what it is well, some of them do some of them might be playing it and delving in but most probably haven't so tell us what is element space in your own words well i would say that the phrase to define it is a tactical squad based rpg set in a dystopian sci-fi retro future <laughs> so to speak with a unique story and very, very uh, well-detailed characters that actually join you on your mission. So I would say that it's kind of its biggest difference is what happens if you do an XCOM with a story? That was kind of the idea behind it. Like if you had this like Japanese RPG element of, of developing relationships mixed with a tactical squad RPG. I mean, I, I mentioned XCOM because it's a sci-fi setting. I would actually would have said Mario Rabbits uh, Kingdom, uh, Rabbits Kingdom, because it's a much closer gameplay experience to it. But we wanted to do that mix, and we're pretty happy with the result. For me, it feels like a science fiction take on Shining Force. Oh, that, I mean, <laughs> that's actually a good idea. Do you think? Do you, I mean, it's not it's not an unfair sort of comparison. Um, Shining forces are very different. I mean, oh, of course, of course. I mean, I'm gonna be grabbing that answer that you, that that, <laughs> that comment you just using. So yeah, I do. For me, Shining Force is one of the best tactical RPG games ever made, in my humble opinion. Uh, all I have them all. So don't ask. I have a bit of a collection. So I, uh, and I even have the on one on Mega CD on the on the Mega Drive, which is still working. Uh, and uh, it's it's a thing. It's a special thing. 
apparently worth hundreds of dollars but, now. I didn't know this. Well, but don't don't let it go. I mean, no, that's that's memorabilia. <laughs> you don't want anyone else to touch no, it. No, I'm not. I mean, I'm happy. I do play it, by the way. I'm not one of those people who shove it on a shelf and let it gather dust. That's stupid. Games are there to be played, not gawped at. Anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, uh, excellent description of Endless Space. I think you're right. It's It has... Because the XCOM games, for me, these games come out much earlier than that. They came out in the mid-80s. They were called Laser Squad and there's Rebel Star Raiders. And these are all games that were before the XCOM games. And they came out in the UK. You probably know this, but they came out. And that's where they, where it all started. And we've, I've actually interviewed Julian Gollop a couple of times with these games on this show. He's, he's a lovely man. And uh, he invented all this stuff. Not only he did, he's an inspiration to all of us. I mean, he knows the formula better than else. Yeah, yeah, he did. He definitely does. And um, But going to the core mechanics, I want to ask you about the, the Overwatch system you've got in uh, Element Space. So it's a well-known system of reaction. In, in pen and paper RPGs, there are many... I'm sat behind that screen and a player says, I'd like to hold my action. And inwardly I go... Oh God! <laughs> yeah, just... it's it's the classic uh, the classic mechanic that players tend to abuse. Like I remember playing through XCOM, and I'm I'm talking about both the old XCOM and the new XCOM, just spamming Overwatch. It was like the tactic to use to win the game. Yeah. So we we went a completely different way, essentially because uh, we didn't want. Uh, players to react to element space the same way that they would to games that you can actually do that tactic. Spamming Overwatch, letting the enemy come into you and just die. Literally, when you're using Overwatch and element space, there's many big differences. For example, if you compare it to XCOM, number one is the character that is going to be standing on Overwatch. He's going to be exposed. So if any enemy already has a line of sight to him and can shoot at him, he's going to hit him and he's going to break Overwatch. Literally, what Overwatch can be used for in element space is when you are in a secure position where enemies cannot hit you, you can prevent uh, or at least damage them as they advance towards trying to get to you. This decision was mostly made because we feel it's a mechanic that could be used and is going to have some enhancement to the gameplay. But at the same time, we wanted to encourage players to be aggressive. We wanted to encourage players to advance and to be strategic towards attacking, not strategic towards defending. Right. And that's because, I mean, that's why you actually have so many characters in the game that actually are melee characters instead of just ranged uh, combatants. Yeah, yeah, I did notice that. But what I found very satisfying is I created what I've, I, I, they were basically kill zones. So it's, you know, you have over, overlaying series of arcs. Saying if anyone moves into those any of those arcs, you're going to get shot at least three times. And it's just when it works, when it works, and it's not often, but when I pull it off, it's it feels good. It's a kind of the combination element in besides behind the game, and that actually happens a lot because, for example, you can actually push an enemy towards Overwatch. You can do a lot of stuff, or, or you can move around an Overwatch if you have some movement skill that allows you to do this. And it essentially has that um, combination element in which suddenly every tool you have with all of your teammates uh, stacks with one another. And Overwatch is part of that. You can actually yeah. like push an enemy towards Overwatch and have him activate Overwatch. And that's kind of unique. Right. Next question. And this one's quite... Um, quite. I don't want to reveal too much about what goes on, but there are... Each character... Well, not each character. A lot of the characters. Most characters... I'm just going to say, it. there are special abilities. There you go. I've said it. Special abilities. Different. Unique. Yeah. And a um, play, I've thought, the more you delve in, the more you progress, they start to play a really significant role in engagements in element space to the point where you're probably going to need to use them, not a lot, but at least two or three times during an engagement, depending on what. Otherwise, you're just basically crippling yourself for no apparent reason. So, um, how have you found designing these engagements to ensure that these abilities don't basically tip the balance too much in the favour of the player? Well, 
okay, that's a that's a many layered <laughs> many Indeed. layered answer so for a yeah, but, specific yeah. Topic, but yeah. I'll try to approach it as best as, as best as we can. Very good. Uh, I actually uh, I might be dropping a hint or a secret when I see this. The whole idea behind skills was that the player should be using those skills constantly. The only skills that you cannot use constantly are uh, mission items, which you only have one per mission. For example, medkits and stuff like that, which you need to equip your character with before going into a mission. But the character-specific skills, and every character has their own specific set of skills. Nobody shares skills. Nobody has the same skill as anyone else are there to be used as much as possible. And the idea is that not only they tip the battle for you, they actually make the game winnable. I have yet to see a person win this game without the use, the appropriate use of skills. Yeah. And this is why. We made the game as challenging and as difficult as possible uh, to, to get this feeling that was behind the story. The idea of the story of Olympus Space is that you're in a rush. You are against very, very, very difficult thoughts. You're facing an enemy that is much bigger than you. You are essentially the, the, I mean, the last surviving chance for the galaxy to not go extinct. And we needed to, to grab that feeling and bring it into gameplay. And how we did that is we populated the enemy with just the right amount of variety and difficulty to make the challenge very difficult. So essentially, the skills are the difference between winning this game, winning every battle, or just essentially arriving towards the later stages of a level without enough life to finish it. Yeah. So I would tell you, like, skills are there to be spammed. And I mean spammed in every sense and form. One thing that does happen is that people take some time to realize how skills can uh, connect with one another. For example, combining uh, the effect of a skill with your attacks or the effects of what, the skill of one character with the skill of another character. But once they do, once they realize what they can do, if they combine skills, then the gameplay goes a completely different way. We've had players that, that were saying, oh, no, the game is, is, is too punishing. I'm not, be, I'm not being able to finish this fight. Uh, enemies are too, too strong or the, the AI is too smart. And suddenly we just gave them a couple of tips on how to use their skills and their gameplay experience changed completely, literally went an entirely different way. And suddenly, instead of having three guys that were being shot by like six, seven enemies that felt much stronger than them, they had this three very, very like powerful, uh, talented uh, soldiers that could use their skills to tip the battle in a completely different way. And that's kind of the, the whole spirit of Element Space is using those, those abilities to, to tip the odds for you. Yeah, and that's exactly what I wanted to draw out, was the idea that the question was written in a, in a concept of um, from that place where you're those, those you say, example of players not understanding that these little little, little skills things, these unique skills, they're not, these aren't add-ons, these aren't adjuncts to the main, you know, having to go into cover, then shoot, or take a melee attack. No, that's the core of the game. You have to build your tactics or your approach around exploiting those skills. And that's kind of an, that's anathema. That's an anathema to a lot of these games. It's actually, these are usually, uh, you don't use them generally unless you really have to. Am I right in thinking this? You know, it's, it's absolutely the right way of thinking about it. And I mean, in a way, it's kind of the illusion we had to dispel, and it's still kind of the, the message we have to continually put out there. Don't play this game as if you're playing XCOM. This is not XCOM. It's not an RNG-based attack. It's not an Overwatch-dependent combat uh, game. And it's also not only a ranged-based combat game, even though in XCOM 2 you have melee characters. I mean, you're not going to go with a squad of only melee characters. And you can actually do that in Element Space. You're focused on more towards a puzzle-driven combat scenario in which how do I use my skills to target as many enemies as possible, or how do I tackle the enemy by killing them one at a time, going from strongest to weakest, in a way that also allows me to use my skills to not be hit. And yes, completely skill. So on a, on a more basic way, and I'd rather than reveal anything too much about the game, I'm playing in. 
I'm playing Dungeons and Dragons at the moment, um, and I'm a cleric, I'm playing as a cleric, and another like, player, he's a warlock. I don't know he's a warlock. Of course I don't. Otherwise, I would have, you know, had him set on fire. But he keeps on putting hexes on creatures, and uh, they don't... This hex basically makes forces the, the, the DM to actually roll disadvantage, or basically they can't save very well against dexterity, which means... My sacred flame spell is really successful, and I don't know why. But that's a good, you know, it's a really base level example of two characters working with each other with their two skills, their two unique skills, to actually create an end, a positive end result. In other words, to be more more effective. Uh, is that a fair model? I would say that that's a fair model, but yeah. there's a lot. Of, one of the elements that maybe you have to consider base mm. is. Uh, location is very important as well. Yes. Many of the skills you have can bring an enemy out of cover, can make two enemies turn together for you to do an area attack, yeah. or can even play them in a way that you can actually use like a pushing skill to make one go against the other and both of them taking a lot of damage. Yeah. So in a way, yes, using skills stacks, like essentially all skills stack with one another. Let me give you a very basic example. For example, you might have a ranged enemy that is in cover and you have no way to hit him. And then you developed your main character, which has a skill called grappling hook, which actually yep. can either move him towards an enemy or make an enemy move towards him or bring an ally towards you, for example, yeah. as well. Yeah. And you can actually bring that enemy out of cover. And if yeah. you have a melee com- combat, like, like if your captain is focused towards melee combat, which is one of my favorite ways of playing him, you can actually not only attack him out of cover, but also have your teammates having him stand in a position which is easier to shoot at him. Yeah. And it's usually yeah. the best way to, to deal with some of the enemies. So essentially that's how a skill not only makes you stronger, but also helps your teammates do their stuff better. So yeah, you're always stacking the use of your skills to make uh, each team member improve. And it usually is, is kind of, we, we don't want to, we didn't want to reveal all of that too easily to the player it's great when they actually get to experience that combination by themselves but there's a lot of combinations like that yeah. i mean every, since every single one of the eight companions has very very different skills uh, you end up finding that there are more and more combinations to be tried every time you bring a different squad with it yeah i just I, yeah this this is the core of element space for me that's what that's what you know drew me to it this very fact that it's, it's, it's there's a lot more going on underneath the hood than people realize so next question um, the pl- the party that the player controls in element space moves as a group between each engagement or event why did you use this method of transition rather than say like pyre which actually has some dialogue and animations and sort of you know speech bubbles and people talking. You actually have the player moving in the space. Why did you Why did you go with that? Well, uh, I, I mean, are you talking about transitions between combats, like when the yes. character is moving with the? Oh, right, right, right. So essentially, we wanted to be able to tell the story from the perspective of your captain. I mean, you as a main character moving between situations, getting to understand the world and the environment through the perspective of your companions and through their comments. So essentially, the, the easiest way for us to do that was to make this whole squad base uh, method actually apply even when you're out of combat. So you're actually moving with your squad between one engagement and the other, moving forward in the mission. And in the meantime, they're actually telling you stuff about the place you're in. They're telling you what they think about it, what they think about the people involved in the mission. So it was a great way for us to handle storytelling as the same uh, in, in a way that didn't break what we expected from the gameplay. Uh, if we did it in any other way, the pro- I mean, it could have been easier in some cases because, for example, if you just handle like, okay, I'm cutting this combat and just putting a transition with some drawings. Yeah. Right? That, that would have been a way we could have advanced. And yeah. that would have been a way to actually keep telling the story but in our i mean in our perspective it would have broken the immersion we wanted for this game and in a way i mean you know between missions you actually do have that because you go back to your 
to your start to your spaceship, and you can have conversations with some of your companions and then choose some other random missions to to do in the meantime between while you're waiting for the main missions to pop up. And you do have that element. But inside a mission, we wanted to never break immersion. So that's why we never broke the camera. We never went away from that feeling of you still going forward with your squad towards finishing the mission. It's an excellent sort of narrative device. And that's why I found it quite surprising. Like, oh, yeah, of course. Why wouldn't you keep them in the world? Why do you have to then suddenly transition to some 2D sort of art sort of like comic book thing, which, you know, that does work. But that's what I was expecting when I went and see many like, okay, oh, wait, I'm still controlling them? Why? That was my gut reaction. Why am I? Okay. Off we went. So fine. I think it worked very, very well. So, yeah. Good that we could surprise you as well. You're actually, in every different mission, every time you bring a teammate, uh, if you change the teammates that you bring, you're going to be getting different comments, different perspectives from them for the situation you're actually facing. So. And I, I actually, one of the things we encourage with Element Space is that people, once they finish the main campaign, which is actually pretty short, you can actually replay the game again and you're going to be feeling the whole new combination of, I mean, you're never going to be getting the same companions, you're never going to be getting the, the same uh, weapons if you do the game differently. So Yeah, yeah, true. It's kind of a good way to explore that. Yeah. I mean, we haven't really delved into the whole sort of interactions with characters and stuff, and that's that's a thing. Uh, but I wanted to talk with the limited time I have is the um, the use of the, the graphics and the, the, the well I should say sorry the art style the art style um, there's a use of soft focus which is wonderful I love the soft focus mo- mode when you when you're attacking with a, a ranged weapon and uh, but also shadow gaps a very interesting use of shadow and lighting is going on in element space. Um, was this adopted to focus the player's attention on what's important, or what, how did this evolve into what it looks like now? Right. Well, essentially, we had to to make the best of what we could with the engine we were working with. So we had to develop our own tools to bring the, the quality of graphics we wanted for the characters and for the environments into the game. And in that sense, Unity was super helpful, but we also developed some additional tools to, to make that happen. And we decided going that way specifically because we felt that it was the best way to, again, involve the player into the action. You see that a lot, for example, when you make a melee attack. Uh, you see that feeling of us wanting to give you the immersion that you are in the middle of an action sequence. So we, we wanted to keep the cinematic feeling in combat as much as possible. So that made us go that way. We had to focus on what we could make so that a game that is actually meant to be experienced from a third-person perspective looked good when the camera came down. And that was actually a right choice to make. We we felt like super enthused when we actually realized, oh, okay, the, the graphics are looking much better than we thought in this way, and we can actually bring the camera much closer. So let's play with that. And we're still playing with that as well, because we are debugging a bit some of the focus and stuff like that. Like, there's still some work to do there, and we're like hard working on it and and bringing updates as quick as possible. But we're pretty pretty excited of how it looks. And every time you actually do an attack, it's like a super like gratifying feeling of seeing your teammate do that and having it work. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's really good. I just it's very interesting where you went with that. And do like when it's, when it's done well, soft focus is um, it does much to sort of replicate what the how it would look if it was you know in the real world it does a good job of how human beings look at things they do focus on things and everything else in the periphery just goes into a blur makes perfect sense right well element space by um six voxel games or six voxel sorry um where did you get the name from by the way well, it's actually an element inside the story of the game. Six vowel is like if you if you play with some characters, you, they're going to be using the six vowel. It's essentially some secret power hidden in human respiration that they can use right. to do some fantastic things. We actually got the name from that. Okay. Um, and it's out on Windows PC and it's coming out on Xbox One and PS4. Is that right? Actually, it already came out, but yes. but I do have to, to I do have to say this like 
Uh, we are an indie developer, so we did bring it out, and we have a couple of bugs moving around, but we're working really, really quickly to fix them. So in the next couple of weeks, I would recommend the players to just wait like a week, and then the yeah. game is going to be much, much better, and it's going to work much better. But yeah, we're we're still on doing stuff and bringing it, bringing updates in to make it actually look like it's looking on PC. There's some difference in the port, and you know it, it happens to first-time developers sometimes when they do this. But I, I'm not trying to make any excuses. It's going to be much, much better if you wait a couple of days. Cool, cool. Well, uh, Javi, it's been wonderful having you on the show, um, and uh, been very sort of uh, open and frank about the design and development of Element Space. So thank you. Um, more than welcome to come back on the show to talk about what new game you would have come up after Element Space, because we have had return guests. Got it. We have a couple of things on the wraps, but we'll be right in touch with that. Yeah, excellent, excellent. But in the meantime, thank you very much. My pleasure. I do hope you enjoy the game. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash cane and rinse for early extended and exclusive podcasts find us on twitter facebook instagram twitch youtube and at our website cane and rinse.com. 